Thank you so much, Mark and team, for leading us in worship today. Great to see you. Happy Mother's Day to our mothers, and we're just thankful for all of our ladies. The roof would fall in without you, and we just thank God for you and all that you do here. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day in Albuquerque. Thank you for the chance to celebrate Mother's Day and to thank all of those who have given so sacrificially to give birth and to raise us. And Lord, we're so thankful. Pray you'd bless them today. We thank you for all of our ladies. Pray that you'd be with those who have a difficult day on Mother's Day, that you'd comfort and minister to them. Lord, we pray for our city. Pray that you'd send revival and spiritual awakening and that you would transform our city. Pray for a sister church, Northdale Baptist Church and Pastor Mike. And just pray that you'd equip them and use them, provide for them, that they would reach many lost for Christ. Lord, we pray for one of our own, for Carol, a missionary in Russia. And just pray that you'd bless her, protect her, meet all of her needs and use her to reach the lost and to make disciples. And now, Lord, as we study your word today, I pray that you'd do a significant work in my heart and our hearts, and that you would help us to celebrate the past and look forward to a glorious future together. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your copy of God's word and turn to Haggai today. We'll take a break from Revelation today. We'll be in Haggai chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 2. So, Haggai chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 2. Many of you have read the, the book by Ben Carson, Gifted Hands, or seen the movie about uh, the book, but Ben Carson, raised by a single mother who was forced to work multiple jobs to provide, started off rough behind his classmates. But he went from that situation to become the youngest in the nation head of a pediatric um, neurosurgeon group at Johns Hopkins University at the age of 33. Uh, Ben Carson had many firsts in pediatric uh, neurosurgeries, and uh, it's, it's a fascinating story. But all along the way, his mother, Sonia, believed in him and told him that he could do well, and that he would do well. Well, uh, one of the things that we celebrate on Mother's Day, and we thank the Lord for you mothers, because you are, as she was, leaving a legacy. And it's a wonderful gift for a young person to know that even if the whole world is against them, that mom believes in me, and mom knows that I can do it. And so today, we look at Haggai chapter 1. I want to bring this, ask the, the crew to bring this first slide up for us here. Is that working behind us here? It is. Sorry, I'm looking at something different in the back. But if you'll see this uh, next slide here, we've got poor, poor crew. Here we go. So we're talking today about leaving a legacy. Now, there are dozens and dozens of pictures that we could put up. So we had to narrow down to our four founding members who are still with us in church every week. And so you see these, these four, Belva and Charlie and Bonnie and Glenn, and then Pastor Clark, who wasn't a founding member, but certainly was part of this group that we think of as we celebrate the past and this group that are representative of those who have been used by God 
to make Sandia Baptist Church what she is today, a loving, forgiving, encouraging, thriving church here in Albuquerque. And so with this past in mind today, we look at leaving a legacy. And so let's look in Haggai chapter 1 and read through chapter 2, verse 9. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. But then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labors of your hands. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. One month later, on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. As for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and all the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, 
says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, the first thing that I want us to look at is that in the case of Judah, they were just passing time. 586 B.C., God had allowed, because of their rebellion, God had allowed Babylon to capture Judah and Jerusalem and to carry its inhabitants off into captivity. But then in 538 B.C., King Cyrus of Babylon had allowed whoever wanted to go back to go back with authorization to rebuild the temple. Well, they went back, and they decided first as you read over in Ezra, to build their own houses. And it's not that God had a problem with them having a place to live. You have to understand in just a few moments the significance of the temple and the amount of attention they gave to building and decorating their own houses besides building the Lord's house. Well, then when they started to think about it, the neighbors, they didn't want the temple built. Why? because the devil was moving in them, because the devil wants nothing of the Lord's plan, the Lord's glory to be accomplished. And the last thing in the Old Testament, especially, that the devil would ever want would be for the temple of the living true God to be built and to be worshiped there throughout the earth. So the neighbors opposed them, and so they gave up. They didn't have to give up. The neighbors really didn't do anything binding. They wrote to the king of Babylon trying to stop them. But even when things worked out legally, they really didn't get around to it. Well, Cyrus eventually died, and his son Cambyses became the king for seven years, and then came King Darius. And so, King Darius in 522 becomes king, and two years later, another group comes from Babylon. This one with Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, not the other Joshua that we know so well, and likely Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, among this group. And so that's the, the situation begins in 520, and Haggai and Zechariah discover that God's people have become so accustomed to there not being a temple, they really don't have much plan to rebuild it. There's no solid plan, and there's no probability that they're going to ever put together a plan to rebuild the temple. Now, the temple to us is, is interesting. It's hard for us as New Testament believers. It's hard for me uh, to really equate the temple to us as a New Testament believer. There's certainly many differences. But you have to understand the significance to God and His glory of the temple in the Old Testament. In Eden, God met with His people. God dwelt there with His people. There was rest. There was peace. There was fellowship between God and man. And then Eden goes away, and God gives the Mosaic law. And as soon as He does, He then has His people build the temple. Now, there's some debate, you know, sometimes people say, well, the temple seemed to be David's idea. Well, maybe, but God certainly signed off on it for His own glory. So God has the people build the temple. Now, the Spirit of God was everywhere, just like He is today. But the temple was the special place where God's Spirit dwelled. It was the special place where God met with His people. It was the special place which gave him glory throughout all the land. There was a direct correlation in the Old Testament to the condition of the temple and the hearts of God's people. When the hearts of God's people were with God, when they were following and obeying and yielding their hearts to God, the temple was a priority for them. 
When they were not, the temple was not a priority for them. So it was a, a symbolic, a visual place where God was glorified. And God says to them twice, consider your ways. Haggai is, is astounded that they've been here now well over 20 years, 26 years, and the temple still lies in ruins while they have sufficiently built their own shelters. And so he quotes the people here. He says in verse 2, the people said, oh, the time hasn't come. 26 years is enough time. The time hasn't come for the house of the Lord to re be rebuilt. And so he says in verse 4, by the Word of God, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses? Again, it's not that God didn't want them to have a place to sleep, but you have ornate houses, and God's house still lies desolate. Consider, he says twice, your ways. God has come to meet with His people. And then he tells them, you know what? It's me, God, who's frustrated your ways. Because you have decided that you don't care about my glory, I am the one who's caused all of these hardships on you. The harvest is not enough. The food is not enough. The drink is not enough. The clothing's not enough. He says, goes on in verse 9, everything that you do, it comes too little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Because my house lies desolate while you run to your own house. I've called a drought on you. I've caused this and this and the other because you are ignoring my house and my glory. Now, after the cross, the temple is transformed to, not, to no longer be a physical building where the Holy Spirit dwells. After Christ and His cross and resurrection, you know that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you become a little mobile temple because the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. It's an incredible truth. We also fail to realize the incredible responsibility and what we do as mobile temples of the Holy Spirit of God. So we're no longer looking at a building. This building is a special building, but the church is the people. This building is the building where we facilitate the ministry of God. So as New Testament believers, as we look at this and ask the question, am I, are we like the Israelites just passing time? Just passing time is not fulfilling. Just living from paycheck to paycheck and calendar page to calendar page, just looking for something out there is not fulfilling. There's no joy. There's nothing for which to wake up in the morning. And God would say to us, to me, as a New Testament believer, in the same way that God's people in the Old Testament needed to turn their hearts to God so that then they would care about the work of God's kingdom, the same is still true for me and for you. To the extent that my heart is turned to God, to the extent that I'm growing in Him, seeking Him, not just calling myself a believer, but really having no interaction with God from Sunday to Sunday, but to the extent that I personally and that we corporately are seeking to know God, to seek Him, to walk more deeply with Him, then our hearts will naturally be turned to the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, some of that does involve this building, but it goes much deeper than that. This is base camp for us. This is the place where we meet to facilitate the work of the kingdom of God. 
someone well said, we will find time for the things that are important to us. We will find money for the things that are important to us. And the people of Israel in 520 B.C. had found neither, and God was displeased. Fortunately, we move on, and the next is that they rolled up their sleeves. And you will see here a few of Sandia's pastors over the years bring back great memories for you. Now, these pastors are not the ones who rolled up their sleeves by themselves. We can only get so many pictures on one slide. It would take a lot of slides to capture the faces of those who have rolled up their sleeves over the years to be used by God to create a church that is Sandia Baptist Church. But let's look first at the people. In verse 12, for once in Judah's life, they listened to God. They listened to God, they listened to Haggai, and the people decided in their hearts to do what God said, to turn their attention back to God and to His temple, back to His kingdom. It says the people had reverence for God, and then later it says God was with them. You know what one of the greatest ways to see the power of God is? I mean, everybody wants to see the power of God. One of the greatest ways to see and experience and be a part of the movement of the power of God is just to do what he says. When I do what I think is right, when I have my own ideas, I may or may not be walking in step with God, even if they're good ideas. But when you and I decide to take God at his word, we're in his word individually, as families or couples, and corporately, and we say, God, what do you say? That's what we want to do. That is one of the greatest guarantees that you will see the power of God at work. Now, it's happening here. It's happening in this church. I get the privilege of speaking with many new members and with visitors, and frequently I hear them say, I came and I felt the presence of the Lord at work in this place. And so you are to be congratulated and thanked for the degree that you lift up the Word of God as the sole authority. It's not easy. It's not always popular. But we have nothing else upon which we can lean and gather and consider our sole authority. So they decided that they would roll up their sleeves and get back to work. And so in verse 14, God stirs up their hearts and the spirit of all the people, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. It's beautiful when Judah obeys. It's beautiful when you obey. It's beautiful when I obey. And so it's wonderful to see this good picture. Well, as I mentioned, we, we've seen some pictures so far this morning of so many who over the 62 years of this church have given of themselves in so many ways, given of their time to tell people about Christ, given of their time to disciple and train new believers, given of their time to teach Bible studies and to serve behind the scenes and to show up faithfully over and over and over, given of their spirits, their attitudes 
to be a tremendously supportive church, supporting their imperfect pastors when they sense that their pastors are trying to lead the church on the mission of God, even though they make mistakes along the way. That's the history of Sandia Baptist Church. She's known throughout the state. I hear people from other states saying, oh, I know of Sandia Baptist Church. That's a great church. She has a wonderful, wonderful history. But these are the folks who have given sacrificially of their time, of their spiritual energies. They've prayed. They've given financially to see this church accomplish so much. If you're in that group, it doesn't matter if you're 90 or 50, but for decades you've been a part of being used by God to strengthen this church, you're not finished. No, if you are here or you're listening online and you've been with this church for those decades and you've put in your time and your energies and even your sacrificial financial giving, you're not through or you'd be in heaven. It may be different. Your physical service may look different now. There may not be as many physical ways that you can serve. But as I pray through our church once a month, as I pray through our directory and pray for each of you and your children by name, those who are older, those who their bodies aren't really able to serve the way that they used to be, I often pray that till the day you die, you'll be a prayer warrior and a soul winner. Even when you're incapacitated and you're put in a home somewhere possibly, you still can witness to those folks who come check on you. So I pray that you'll continue to do that. You can continue to mentor those coming along behind you, and you can continue to pray for your church. I'm so encouraged. It never gets old for me, for Pastor Andy, for others to hear you say, praying for you, Pastor. You're on my prayer list. I need it because I have feet of clay. You can continue to pray, you can continue to mentor, you can continue to teach in ways that you can, and you can continue to give sacrificially. At the minimum, I challenge you who are in your latter chapters to put this church in your will. Sandia Baptist Church is in my will. When I die, and Kathy has passed on as well, 10% of our estate goes to Sandia Baptist Church. Our descendants will never miss it. They'll never know the difference. So I encourage you, put Sandia Baptist Church in your will. It's a hassle to update your will, but do so. It's a way you can bless your church. There was a sweet widow who started coming to our church, my first church in Texas. And you understand, I was 23 years old. The church uh, had somewhere between 70 and 90 folks in worship. The town had 136 people in population, uh, but of course, folks came from outside the city limits there. It was a sweet widow that began to come, and I began to visit her and, and love on her. Well, she passed away after I left. She left $100,000 for the church. That's not the biggest amount of money you've ever heard of in your life, but the annual budget for the church was $65,000. She blessed that church immensely. You can put the church in your will. But even before the Lord takes you home, no matter what age you are, you can direct your funds as God leads you. I don't want one dollar from anybody in this building more than what God wants from you. But as God leads you, you can set this church up for the future. You see, the, the future of Sandia Baptist Church is not maintenance. The future of Sandia Baptist Church is multiplication of disciples. This church has a glorious past. It had some, some lean years. 
God's moving. He's working. And I believe the future is tremendous, which we'll get to in a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself. But you can help set the church up for that future. There are folks in this room who are, or who are listening. You literally. I'm just talking turkey, getting real with you here. There, there's some who literally could write a check and could eliminate the remainder of our debt. Now, that debt's going away fast. I'm astounded. When I came three and a half years ago, that $1.6 million debt was down to $1.2, and God has blessed through your faithfulness now down in the 600s, but there are some who could just take care of it. There are some who could take care of some of it, 100,000 of it, 1,000 of it, 100 of it, 50 of it. And while it's going away quickly, it will be a blessing to this church to free up those funds for strategic ministry in the future. So no, you're not through. We thank you. Well, I look around the room. I think of those online. I'm just thankful over and over and over and over and over for who you are and how God's used you. The longevity of membership here. The longevity of service to God's kingdom. Thank you. Well, they rolled up their sleeves in Judah. Those who created by God's grace used by God, he created, but used by God to make this church what it is, have rolled up their sleeves. And I'm challenging them, I'm challenging you in that category to leave a legacy, but I want to challenge the rest of us. We need to build a legacy. We need to begin building a legacy that we can leave later. What can we do? What can you do if you're 15 or 30 or 50? or wherever it is. It's not an age. We need to build a legacy. We need to give our hearts to the Lord, that, that this church from oldest to youngest would be seeking God, that our hearts, because it's a matter of heart, that's where God wants us to start. All of these things flow from our dedication, our walk with God, or else we're just going through religious motions. So those of us who need to build a legacy, grow deeply, plant deep roots with God, be in His Word daily, Young people, are you in His Word daily? If you can read, you can read the Word of God every day. Teenagers, young adults, median adults, wherever you're at, we've got to be in the Word daily, and we've got to be people of prayer to God. And then you begin building a legacy. You begin by giving your time to sharing the gospel, to training new believers and as things are coming back together and we're going to be able to very soon turn our attention back to our discipleship pathway that we launched right before COVID, there's going to be an opportunity for you who already have training and those who need training to disciple believers. We need you. We need new believers trained and discipled. And then you giving your time to teach Bible studies, to work behind the scenes, to serve as ushers and doorkeepers and on committees and to help with the facility, to do things that aren't on any list, but you just want to get involved and jump in. And then even those of us who need to build a legacy, we need to be sure that we're building a financial stewardship legacy, establishing the same patterns that those who've gone before us have established. You say, well, it's kind of rough right now, Pastor. I'm going to tithe later when I'm making more money. You probably won't, if that's your attitude, if that's, the, if that's the, the, the decision point. Because when you make more money, that percentage goes up too, and it only gets harder. I'm just telling you, a dime off a dollar seems hard, but it gets harder as God blesses you. Establish those patterns. Now, Pastor, why would we talk about finances when we're, our finances are the best ever 
this year. Well, actually, that's the best time for a pastor to talk about finances. You ought to be a pastor talking about finances when things are lean. That's no fun. No, there's still, even though our finances as a church, praise the Lord, are best ever, there's still some who are miserable financially. You keep hitting dead end after dead end after dead end, and one of the reasons may be that you've never decided to take God at his word in the matter of tithing. I'm just telling you, if you're not tithing, I'd be shocked if your finances ever work out in a way that is satisfactory to you. That's just the way it is. That's the bottom line. So I encourage you. I'm thankful that I learned to tithe as a child because I did start on a dollar and five dollars and ten dollars. And then I started to make my budget as an engaged couple with Kathy. Had no idea what we were doing, by the way, trying to make a budget, two 22-year-olds. And I said, okay, and here's the tithe, this 10%. And she sheepishly said, um, I don't really know. I, I tithe more than that. And so I was supposed to be her leader, so what did I do? I scratched it out real fast, and we went with her number. And we never knew the difference because God will bless you. He's not going to guarantee he's going to make you rich, but he will take care of you. Those of us who are younger need to begin to build these habits into our lives. But the last is this, the best is yet to come. Here they are building in chapter 2, a month later, and Haggai is sent by the Lord again, and he goes to them, he says, how many of you remember the first temple? And we read in the parallel accounts that there was some weeping going on by those who were old enough to have come back, but they remembered the first temple. He said, this one doesn't seem to compare, does it? Well, there's a lot of things that were different about it. Now, Herod would later take this temple and renovate it and make it nice, but the situation in which they built the first and the second temple were vastly different. When they built the first temple, Israel was at the height of its game. The glory of Israel and the glory of her God was all over, and the wealth that poured in and the beautiful temple they built. This temple is being built by a minority group under pressure without much money. The foundation stones are going in, but they don't look like the foundation stones of the first temple. And they remembered all that God did in that first temple. So naturally, they look back, and some of them exercise the spiritual gift of discouragement. That's not a spiritual gift, is it? No. So as you remember the way things were in the early 80s, or that decade, several decades ago, you could be tempted to say, mm, just not the same. And you would be exercising the spiritual gift of discouragement. But that's not who you are, Sandia Baptist Church, and I'm thankful to God for it. One of those four who was on that first slide of the founding members who are still with us said to me a few weeks ago, he said, Pastor, I was blessed Sunday. And I said, how's that? And he said, I went down where I normally sit. And I couldn't find a seat because there were so many young people in the area in which I usually sit. I had to go back several rows to find a seat. And I said, and that's why Sandia Baptist Church is who she is, because you said that was a blessing. Whereas some might say, Pastor, those young kids are in my seat. I've been to those churches. 
Oh, friend, visitors, guests, if anybody ever says you're in my seat, please come tell me. We don't do my seat around here. But I did tell him, and I'll tell you this too, that for $100,000, we would make that his seat, and I would keep everybody out of it. I'm just saying. I know how the bread is buttered around here, and so I'd make that deal to any of you. You know, they, someone once said, you can get anything in a Baptist church if you let somebody put their name on it. Uh, but anyway, that's not in my sermon. But anyways. So, he says, some of you remember the former. But here in verse 4, he says, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. And all of you people of the land, take courage. And then the next, verse, uh, next phrase, he says, for I am with you. You want God to be with you? Devote yourself to his ways. You want God to give you joy and refreshing and purpose? Be devoted to his ways. Spend time with him each day and ask him to grow your heart for his kingdom, which is not just this building and not just this church, though we're a part of it. And your heart will begin to think like God's heart. And in Psalm 37, he says, if you think like he thinks, you can start to get whatever you want. Because when you delight in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Take courage. If you're doing the work of God, take courage. When you plant the seed, it doesn't come up instantly. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. In verse 5, the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, that was a long time ago. And he says, my spirit is still abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And then this interesting Verse 6 and 7. For he says, once more in a little while, in, in another season, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And we don't know exactly what he meant there. Meant there. But I have a hunch that he means this next chapter, not just the building they're going to build, because praise the Lord, they did build the temple. And God was glorified. And the Romans were going to come after the cross and the resurrection, and they're going to destroy that temple, which will be rebuilt in the end. But moving on from old covenant, they're looking towards the Messiah coming, new covenant, where the temple now does exist, dwell in us as believers. And God says, guys, gals, appreciate the past. But look forward because in verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Because when you transform the temple from one building where you've got to gather to make sacrifice and worship the Lord, to spread that out to millions of believers, that's better. The latter is better than the former. And then he says, and in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Take courage. Take courage, take courage, I'm with you. Celebrate the past and the foundation upon which we build. And then look to the glorious future, not of maintenance. No, we're not a historical society where we just do only that. Say, oh, how wonderful it was. It was wonderful. But we take that foundation and we ask God to build on it for a multiplying, glorious, God-honoring future. Let me tell you this. The ones who have passed away who helped build Sandia Baptist Church and the ones who are still with us who helped build Sandia Baptist Church, 
all of them, if not all of them, would say, what I really want is I want the future to be better than the past. So who's in? Who's ready to say, God, I today am going to start turning my heart to you. I'm not in the word. How can I have joy? How can I be a useful tool for you? I'm not even in the word. Who today will say in just a moment as we sing to God, I'm turning my heart back to you. Some in this room, some online need to say today, I don't even know you. And today you need to come and ask Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you and live there as Lord and Savior. Some of you need to join this church. God said, you know what? For this time in your life, this is your church. You go tell them, count me in. I'm I'm with you. And you do that. You walk down here and join this church. Some of you need to follow the Lord in baptism and go public with your walk. And then God's spoken to you in so many ways, things that I never said, but God said to you about leaving a legacy and building a legacy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to me. Thank you for many months ago laying this text on my heart for us here at Sandia Baptist. Lord, we are deeply grateful for the legacy that has already been built and given and laid down so that this church is a beautiful, thriving church. But God, we don't want to be satisfied with what you have done. We want to ask you to do more than we could ever ask or imagine or think to help us to reach the lost, to make disciples, to plant churches, to send out missionaries, to send out vocational ministers, to send out our folks all around the city and all around this world, that we would be a local and world mission center. God, I pray that you'd stir in the hearts of your people today and that we as a people would make concrete decisions today about little things and big things, and that we wouldn't leave this place just thinking, but we would know what you're saying to us, and we would act. We would step out. We would take some sort of physical, concrete action to say yes to you today. And God, you said in the book of Psalms that if we ask you, give the nations as our inheritance, the ends of the earth as our possession. We don't want it for us, but we want to be used by you in that way to reach the lost here and around the world. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together and sing first note of the first stanza. You come as the Lord leads. Mm -hmm. 